0: Welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 51, recorded on April 29th, 2018. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. It's good to be back from Linux Fest Northwest and connected with you. And we're going to start this week with a story that I saw lots of people sharing
1: online Ubuntu Touch will officially be an option for the Librem 5. Yeah, Purism have posted about this in a little bit of a confusing way, I must say. They've talked about how there's going to be three options when the Librem 5 ships. It'll either come with PureOS, PureOS with the KDE Plasma Mobile interface, or Ubuntu Touch. And it wasn't quite clear to me whether that meant that they would be factory installing Ubuntu Touch as an option and maybe contacting their backers shortly before uh, shipping was due. But I asked someone at the Ubiports project, and they said that, no, it won't be pre-installed, but it will be officially supported. So if you want to run it, you will have to flash it yourself. That was my understanding as well. I did a little
0: double checking, and that was the same. I I got a note from somebody at Purism that told me that's how it would work. So PRS by default on the Librem 5 with, like you said, the KD Plasma Mobile and Ubuntu Touch images officially supported... You know, if we step back from that for a moment and we look at what this is turning into, it's something I can start to get excited about. The Librem 5 here could become that general phone platform that allows all these different open source projects to have real hardware to try their stuff out on. And that is something that I've been wanting since 2013 when Canonical tried their crowdfunder to launch the um, Edge phone, I think it was called. And that. When I saw that, I thought, gosh, you know what would be perfect about that is if it was like a PC, where any open source project could load their version of a mobile operating system on there. Or as an end user, I could load something that I chose, just like I do with a PC. The Librem 5 is kind of getting us in that direction.
1: Well, that was the promise, wasn't it, when they first did the crowdfunder? And now they are continuing to, well, they haven't delivered on that promise just yet, but they, they're certainly continuing to promise the same thing. And maybe it could become like the Nexus 4 and 5 were, which were kind of almost like a reference hardware that everyone would make their ROMs for. And then a little bit later on, it was kind of the OnePlus 1. And if the Libra 5 becomes like the, the ultimate hackable phone, then it's kind of win-win for everyone, isn't it? Uh, they'll sell a bunch of them and the community will have a reference phone that they can target. The only
0: note of caution that I have here is I think it might be a bit telling that everyone is very excited about the OS that isn't shipping by default on this phone. There seems to be much more attention to the fact that KDE Plasma Mobile and now Ubuntu Touch will be available on the Librem 5, and nobody in the public seems all that excited about pure OS.
1: Well, I'm not sure how fair that is, really, because PureOS is essentially Debian, isn't it? It's certainly Debian-based. So it means having a proper GNU-slash-Linux distro running with just a mobile interface, like the old Nokia, was it the N900 that was running uh, Mego that was Debian <laughs> underneath? Yeah. And, and so there are a lot of people who want to have a proper GNU-slash-Linux phone. So uh, maybe that hype was kind of reserved for the original announcement of it. Whereas now we're getting these announcements about KDE and um, Ubuntu Touch, that's just where the buzz is going to be, because the buzz about PureOS was kind of at the beginning.
0: I'd say that's a fair assessment. I do wonder if the unknown quantity of PureOS also kind of leaves me a little unenthused, and I don't feel like it's just me. It's kind of been a general tood that I think I've picked up when people are talking about the Librem 5, but perhaps they'll surprise us. I'm I'm totally willing to be pleasantly surprised by what they turn out with PureOS Mobile.
1: Yeah, and I was kind of a bit concerned that they were hedging their bets too much, but from speaking to uh, the people at Ubiports, it's very much a hands-off approach. It's like they will give them some hardware and support them as much as they can, but they're not going to devote loads of time and resources to developing Ubuntu Touch on it. It's more that they'll just facilitate that happening as best they can and give it their official stamp of approval, presumably pending some QA testing and stuff. I think that makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense from a business point of view, and it it makes more sense from a kind of consumer point of view, if you know that there's this backup available. I mean, I really wish that they would work with the Lineage OS people, because if you had that Android route as a, a fallback, then I'd be much more interested in buying the phone, because... Pure OS is a complete unknown. We just don't know what it's going to be like. It might be amazing. It might be terrible. We know what Ubuntu Touch is like. Uh, It's kind of in development still. It's not really daily driver worthy, I don't think. Whereas I know that with Lineage, even with F-Droid, even without the Google Apps, you could use it as a daily driver phone. And so... I would like to see them talk more about that. They did mention it very early on and I know that the way Purism works, they're very good at marketing. They kind of drip feed everyone these announcements to keep them in the news and everything. So we might well be seeing that announcement soon that it will be kind of officially supported. I really, really hope so for everyone's sake.
0: Yep, I completely agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, while we're talking about purism, let's update everybody on their efforts to reverse engineer the Intel FSP. I think we've got some really big details, some good technical things we can really dig into, Joe. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, unfortunately, by the time I read the post about this, Intel had been in touch with them and demanded, or well, at least asked nicely, that they remove the technical details. And so now we don't know exactly how they've made the progress that they've made. Yeah. And now that's the story. Exactly. If Intel hadn't have done that, then we might not have even been talking about this. It would have been just another update in the long saga of reverse engineering the proprietary bits of the Intel firmware. And it might have got a quick mention here and there, but now... Intel have kind of got the Streisand effect here, haven't they?
0: Yeah, and it also tells you that they must have been getting pretty close to the mark. And then it, it leads one to wonder, what's Intel's endgame? Are they going to do this everywhere that somebody tries to do this? Is it because there's a security concern they don't want people to know about? Is it because they're going to launch a competitive product? I'm, I'm not sure what their angle is here. And I think it just leaves more questions and makes people wonder and... Like you said, always leads to more attention on the internet. It never it never goes in the direction companies want it to go when they do stuff like this on the internet.
1: Yeah, I do wonder if it's just their legal department doing what they see as their job because Intel's a fairly big company and it's not like, you know, a small business like Jupiter Broadcasting where, you know, you know what exactly what's going on with everything. It's you have different departments, don't you, in these big companies. And so it might well be that only one division of it was interested in this and the rest of the company is kind of thinking, well, no, maybe we shouldn't have done that. So I don't. am I making excuses for Intel there by saying that? Maybe I am. Because this is not a very nice thing to do, is it? If you've got people working hard on trying to make things free and open and you are just trying to stop that and somewhat succeeding in stopping that, then... I don't want to use the word evil, but it's getting close, isn't it? I think we'll know where to peg this on the evil meter, depending on what happens next.
0: Is purism going to be locked down from sharing future information? Are they going to have some sort of legal action that they get involved with to stop them? Or is this all just going to go away, and they're going to have a great conversation, and everybody, everyone will just be on the same page? We don't know yet, but depending on which one of those things happens will help us peg their motivations and their evilness in this issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. time will tell on that one. Well, speaking of being evil and not being evil, let's talk about Chrome OS. And it seems that we are a step closer to being able to run proper Linux applications on Chrome OS.
0: Yeah, this is Google's worst held secret because more and more evidence just keeps coming out and entrepreneuring Reddit users are digging through development builds and they have found evidence of a new Linux terminal feature coming as well as perhaps even more than that.
1: Yeah, these Linux applications are going to be running in containers by the looks of things. And it looks like installing this terminal will download the various bits and pieces that you need to make those containers run. And then you'll have proper native ish Linux applications, which suddenly makes Chrome OS a much more attractive proposition, doesn't it? And it surprised me how far they seem to be taking this. So
0: these Linux apps on Chrome OS are going to also have a full fledged GTK theme that is based off of Adaptia, a popular material-designed GTK theme, and they are strapping in a sort of a more eccentric, bluish, kind of more what they call electric version of the theme. So when these Linux applications launch, they'll sort of fit in with Google's material look that you see in G apps and, and other Google properties. This is a step I didn't actually see coming, but I guess it does kind of complete the product.
1: Well, yes, but I didn't see it coming because I had pictured this in the same way that you see the subsystem for Linux on Windows. I thought it was gonna be command line applications aimed at developers. Why do you need to have the terminal themed uh, with with a GTK theme that looks all material design and everything unless you're gonna have GUI applications? Which begs the question, what are we gonna get here? Are we gonna get a full repository or or what? Is it gonna be a few proprietary applications like Skype? Uh, Is it gonna be Snaps or what, who knows? And those entrepreneurial users
0: I mentioned over at Reddit have already gotten Wine and Android Studio running on these Chromebooks with this development channel. So it's pretty complicated applications that you can get up and running
1: with this thing. Well, I'm not surprised that members of the community have managed to hack it and get these graphical applications running. They did that on the subsystem for Windows. But it seems that with this GTK theme that Google's going to support that sort of natively and officially. Yeah, this development
0: just got a lot more
1: interesting. I did
0: not expect this strong of an end-user angle to this story, so definitely going to be following this one with some interest.
1: Yeah, and it could be very good news for the rest of the Linux community because Chromebooks are a massive install base compared Mm -hmm. to the Linux desktop. And if you've got Linux applications available for Chrome OS, then it's gonna mean a lot more development resources go towards that and a lot more eyes on the code and and just all of the good stuff that comes with that. So yeah, I am quite hopeful for this.
0: Me too. And I mean just selfishly, I think about my kids. I I would love to be able to just buy them Chromebooks that could run Linux applications. They have Chromebooks as part of their school curriculum already. So this might also mean that thousands of students in the U.S. that have these Chromebooks may also start to get desktop Linux applications.
1: Well, you never know. You might even end up being able to run Firefox on a Chromebook. That would be something, wouldn't it?
0: (laughs) I hadn't thought of that. That might be the first thing I'd try.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, yeah. Well, speaking of Linux applications, one of the biggest ones is GIMP, the GNU Image Manipulation Program. And that has had a massive update this week.
0: Version 2.10 is out, and I think this is the biggest release of GIMP I've ever witnessed. One thing that's immediately noticeable about the new GIMP is they have a dark theme that they say focuses on the content and less on the UI. And I got to say, it actually does look pretty good. It it sort of takes that uh, UI oversaturation that I used to get from GIMP and turns it down a few notches. So they've actually successfully pulled it off. But the stuff they've been working on for a long time, that's like all the goodies that are on the back end, like the new implementation of GEGL, which is a big prerequisite for what they're going to be working on in future versions of GIMP, like non-destructive editing, high-bit depth support for colors, up to 32-bit color channels now, multi-threading that allows GIMP to use multiple cores for processing, and if you've got the OpenSeal driver set up, GPU-side processing as well. And that's just the tip of the iceberg on the new stuff that's coming to GIMP. This is a massive, massive release and really has them positioned too for future releases like way, way down the road and even more immediate releases that might feature things like GTK3 support soon. Uh, Also, one of my personal favorite new features in GIMP 2.10 is now it has baked in Darktable support for opening RAW files. So
1: uh, now my Darktable and my GIMP can work together and it's a kumbaya, Joe. Yeah, I don't think we can really overstate how big this update is. I mean, it's been six years since the the last major update. And this changes the game, I think. It makes it into something that professionals could actually use. Whereas before, if you really wanted to, you kind of could. But now they've really pushed the features and the backend stuff that you're talking about and made it really, I think, a professional-grade application.
0: And they've also improved import and export of adobe psd files and i'm particularly curious to see how that works open up some of our old photoshop files that artists have sent us stuff and see if i can work with them in gimp now
1: well you kind of could do that already but it's good to see improvements there because sometimes it was a bit flaky i mean i've got quite a few Uh old photoshop files and everything and uh, I think that maybe the support for the older versions of Photoshop were yeah. better, but now you're going to have the the more modern versions of Photoshop supported there, so that's good as well.
0: Yeah, one of the things they improved with their Photoshop file support is the different light layer. Uh, we were in Photoshop, you can have hard light, vivid light, these different things. GIMP used to drop that when you would save to PSD, and that has been added now, which is something that's great for uh, outlines and borders of some of the artwork that has been sent into the to the network. Is people use that functionality, and GIMP would just lose it. It would just like couldn't see it at all. So I'm very happy that's in there because I think that's going to solve some of the problems we had here. Again, kind of a kind of a personal reason I like these updates, but it's, it's really good stuff to see. And I think there's so much stuff in here, it's going to be like that for everybody.
1: Yeah. And I kind of introduced this by saying it's a Linux application. Of course it is. That's what we know it for. But don't forget that it is also available on Windows and Mac. And it's a good kind of... um taster for people of free and open source software and it's that that old adage of how you convert people over to linux is first you start with the application so if you can install this and firefox and thunderbird or whatever um on a windows box then it's much easier to make the transition and now that it's a this free alternative to photoshop that is really up there in terms of features i think it's going to be a much easier sell for people you know they're thinking well why am i paying this money for creative cloud when really I only need this set of features and maybe if I move over to GIMP then I'm going to save myself a bunch of money and then they they kind of see the joys of free and open source software
0: slash action digital ocean is simplicity at scale you can get a system spun up on their infrastructure in less than 55 seconds everything uses SSDs from the like $5 a month droplets that are unbelievably good priced all the way up to the systems that have hundreds of gigs of RAMs, lots of the CPUs, lots of all the things. Everything's using SSD in between, including their spaces storage and their block storage, which makes it super easy to add additional storage to your droplets. And they have Ubuntu, CentOS, Debian, Fedora, CoreOS, and FreeBSD to choose from. Dio.co slash action. Go there and try it out and get a $100 credit for a new account. If you sign up at Dio.co slash action... They'll give you $100 of DigitalOcean credit to play around. Now, my favorite rig is three cents an hour. So think about how long $100 is going to last you. And something you can play around with that i don't ever really talk about is the digital ocean command line for your linux box the doctl is an open source utility for managing your droplets and other resources from your command line now i'm not telling you how to do your job but you put that magic sauce in a drop down terminal like you awake or quake you hit that f12 key boom you got your doctl right there you're issuing commands you hit f12 that thing slides right back up it's beautiful Try it. You can build a system. It's unbelievably fast. You can put it in production. You can use it for testing or you can just use it to learn. DO.CO slash action.
1: Okay, let's talk about Ubuntu. 18.04 LTS was released this week. The first LTS of the desktop with the new GNOME interface and also a huge release for the cloud and IoT and containers and all that kind of stuff. But I suppose we should probably
0: start with the desktop and its flavors, so 18.04 proper, and all the flavors have been released. That means it's an LTS of Kubuntu, we have an LTS of Zubuntu, as well as Ubuntu Budgie, Ubuntu Studio, Kylin, and Ubuntu Mate. And they're all really, really great releases. If you're an Ubuntu user, you have a tough decision ahead of you. Let's start with Mate, because I've talked a lot with Martin Wimpress about their journey, their multi-year journey to this release. We have the improved Mutiny desktop layout, which comes with that keyboard-friendly HUD just like Unity did. This is a very faithful reimplementation of the Unity desktop, and it's based on Mate 1.20, which means you're getting high DPI support, quarter window tiling, hardware acceleration in Marco, the window manager, when supported, and Joe's favorite feature, color emojis.
1: (laughs) I think it's quite telling that you've uh, started with Ubuntu Mate rather than Ubuntu Proper, because uh, there are things to talk about with Ubuntu Proper, but ultimately it's not very different from 1710, is it?
0: As we suspected, I think. There was nothing too bold here. 1710 was really supposed to be a proving ground. That way 1804 would be really solid. And the reality is the flavors based around Ubuntu haven't been going through this massive transition. So this has really been a polish cycle for them. Personally, I am I am very excited about Kubuntu 1804. It's the perfect lining up of Plasma 512 LTS, Qt LTS, and of course, Ubuntu 1804 LTS. So for three years, it's LTS across the entire stack from the kernel up to the user land applications. That's Huge for me personally, in my production environment, deploying that everywhere this week. Very excited about Kubuntu 18.04. It's not that Ubuntu proper isn't a great product. It's just, uh, it's, it's exactly what it needs to be. Just a solid, predictable release.
1: Yeah, one thing of note, you mentioned the various flavors there. Ubuntu Studio is not an LTS. That's only getting nine months, which is very unusual. But that's because... That particular project is kind of a little bit up in the air at the moment they're restructuring and they just cannot commit at the moment to a full three years on 1804 so we'll have to see how 1810 shakes out for them which is a bit of a shame but i suppose in the meantime you still got zubuntu which i've tried out and again i love it as usual there's just not much to say about it they've swapped out some of the gnome applications for mate applications but really you don't really notice the difference, or at least I don't. They just do what they're supposed to do and just stay out of the way. And it's just yet another solid release from Zubuntu. I I wish I had more to say about it to try and sell it, but it's it's what I've been using for 10 years now. I think 804 was the first one that I used, so it is exactly 10 years, and I've never had a problem with it.
0: It's nice, though, to see that Zubuntu's default theme, Greybird GTK, got an update with improved high DPI support. But shifting away from the desktop just for a moment... I think this is also accumulation of a lot of efforts by Canonical. 1804 ships with a ton of applications available as a snap, and snaps are first-class citizens in 1804 now. They're also in an extremely good position market-wise. The market's very hungry for this next release and very comfortable that 16.04 is going to be updated for a while. So this is a great position because the current product, 16.04, isn't failing people are totally happy with it but the new product is compelling that's a strong move for canonical then you look at some of their future partnerships that they have to push 1804 around Um, for example the upcoming update to windows which will make it easy to deploy ubuntu inside hyper-v and canonical and microsoft work together to tailor that in their announcement they have quotes in here from uh, google's product manager at cloud ai talking about how 18.04 is going to be a great OS for them with machine learning and artificial intelligence.
1: This is a strong release. It is, and one of my favorite things about it is this minimal install option. We talked about that when it was announced, but it's all I'm going to do from now on, on any flavor. 100%.
0: 100%. I want to underscore that point. I am so pleased with the way this minimal installer thing has turned out across all the flavors. I've used it for all the Kubuntu systems we deployed, and it's perfect. I didn't really feel like anything was missing. I don't need the PIM suite. I have all the basic essentials. It's su- They nailed this feature so well that it leaves you thinking, why the hell wasn't this done years ago?
1: Yeah, well, Zubuntu was the first flavor to think about it and and implement it, (laughs) blazing the trail there. Yeah. Uh, But that was with a separate ISO, whereas now as part of the installer, it just makes so much more sense to me.
0: Yeah. And uh, although we underplayed the GNOME desktop release, they did polish it up a little bit. It looks nice. And the Nautilus theme, I think, is the classiest looking one I've seen on any desktop, but these are just my first impressions. I honestly plan to let 18.04 and its different flavors marinate for a while in my studio, and then I'm gonna do a follow-up review in a week or two with some, you know, several weeks experience with the released version.
1: Yeah, and I think that realistically, you have to wait for the .1 release for most people to actually upgrade to this. People who install an LTS, stay on it, and then wait to be prompted by the GUI updater before they actually do it they're not going to see this yet. And that gives a little bit more time for Canonical to polish it and make sure all of the corner cases are sorted out before you have this mass upgrade when the 0.1 release happens.
0: But Joe, who has time to wait around for a 0.1 release? I've got Nintendo Switches to
1: install Ubuntu on. Gotta get going. Yeah, you and Wes covered this exploit for the Switch in TechSnap 365, so go and have a listen to that if you want to hear more technical details, but it was just funny to see Ubuntu 18.04, the desktop, running on a Switch, Um, but as you can see in the the photo of it, there is a USB cable plugged into it, which shows that it is still a tethered uh, jailbreak, as they say.
0: But I have to say, it seems like it's more functional than if you were to install Ubuntu on a MacBook, because they've got 3D acceleration, it's got Wi-Fi, the touchscreen works, Bluetooth seems to be working, and the light sensor seems to be working. What isn't working at this point is audio and Joy-Cons, but something tells me that's not too far behind.
1: (laughs) Yeah, probably. One thing we haven't mentioned is the move back to Exorg. They're not shipping Wayland by default anymore. Again, we talked about that when it was announced, but... I said it was sensible then, and I say it's sensible now, because this is a long-term support release, five years for the main version. It just makes total sense to me. Stick on X for now, and then they'll probably go back to Wayland for 1810, and then hopefully by 2004 it will be ready. You'd think in a couple of years it would be, but you never know. I do think it was the right move.
0: As I was deploying it here in the studio, and one, two, three, four boxes now have it in here, and I just thought, I just thought to myself, you know, I'm really glad I don't have this unknown quantity. I, I like Wayland and I don't mind even using it on my workstation, but here in the studio that's running 24-7, I, I was just I was I was thankful to go with something that I knew was tried and true. Yeah. Very sensible decision by them there. You know what else is a sensible decision? Going to linuxactionnews.com subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes every
1: single week. Yeah, and you can go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. And please
0: consider supporting the entire Jupiter Broadcasting Network at patreon.com slash
1: JupyterSignal. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at John Ressington. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. See you later.